0: hello and welcome to the language hacking podcast i'm your host benny lewis and today i interview michael campbell and you guys would know him very well from glossica a very important resource that a lot of people uh, that i've had on the podcast use and initially i thought we were going to go into talking about Glossika and mike's language learning story but it was uh, it took a very different turn, and I think you will find this interesting if you want to understand the mind of a polyglot a bit better in terms of other things that they're interested in and other passions. And Mike kind of sees himself as um, as a kind of self-experimenter in the same way that Tim Ferriss is. And a few things that we talked about include uh, his uh, very extreme diet that he's taken on and how that has affected his focus and his uh, mental acuity and his passion for music and his interest in human prehistory. And it was a very interesting look into how his world works. And I think you guys, if you're curious uh, about the lifestyle of a polyglot beyond language learning, especially a well-known polyglot like Mike, you will definitely find this uh, to be an interesting interview and I appreciated that it was the first time that he talked about a lot of these things uh, openly and publicly was uh, in this particular interview. I will say that there are a few points on diet and health that um, you should uh, definitely consult with a medical professional. Don't listen to two polyglots talking about this and make uh, major lifestyle decisions. And there are a few things he said I would personally be quite skeptical about, but I didn't raise that, raise that skepticism. I wanted him to have his avenue to, to share all of these thoughts with us. And of course, there were plenty of good takeaways as well, but a very unique interview since we went in a very different direction to our usual conversations on this podcast. So without further ado, let's dive right on in to the interview with Mike Campbell.
1: The links and resources mentioned in this episode can be found at languagehacking.com forward slash 125.
0: Welcome to the Language Hacking Podcast from Fluent in Three Months. Hello and welcome to the Language Hacking Podcast. I'm your host, Benny Lewis, and I am joined today by Mike Campbell from Glossica. You guys have heard of Glossica many times because many guests that I've had on uh, the show have mentioned it among their resources. And I have personally gone through the uh, Glossica system when I was lucky enough to get to meet Mike and his team when I was in Taipei. So I am familiar with it myself, but it is one of the biggest names in language learning in terms of resources people prefer to use. So I'm so happy to have Mike with us today so we can hear his story and learn how uh, he got into languages and how Glossica became a thing. So thank you so much for joining us today, Mike. Thank
1: you very much for having me. And that was a nice introduction.
0: Absolutely. Uh, Let's dive right on in. So before Glossica, I want to hear like how you got into languages and how it became relevant in your life what kind of background you had, and how your interest developed in uh, not just a, a language like Mandarin, but in many different languages.
1: I want to kind of take a, a little bit of a different approach today because I have some things that I would like to share with everybody. And I would just like to say that my my life personally has been on an upward spiral during the last few years. Um, this year I feel like a hundred times better than last year and last year felt a hundred times better than the year before. So this is really like the most exciting time of my life. And I've got a lot of like new, I don't know you, I don't want to call them hacks, but these are very interesting things that I want to share with everybody. And you know, with everything getting better and better, I, I mean, I guess it's just like everybody else that you interview. I mean, we got into languages at some point in the past, but I'm kind of more interested in talking about the present rather than the past. Um, Because I've made some massive improvements in physical and mental capabilities and capacities. So those are the kinds of things I want to share with your audience. So um, I I know the podcast is about hacking languages. And I think that um, if we want to achieve high level success in this one field, I believe we have to take a step away from that specific goal. We have to look at how we live our lives, specifically taking a look at our diet, which causes immense differences in our physical and mental capacities. And if you're listening right now to the podcast and you're not happy with your weight, for example, then I, w- I would like to share some facts and suggestions because the first thing you need to do is set up goals and the goal should be specific, not something like, Oh, I want to lose weight. You know, um, the second thing you, m- you need to do is to actually believe you can achieve the goal. And this sort of requires, I mean, you probably want to call it something like ego. Like you got to have some, I mean, if you want to achieve any amount of success in life, you got to have s- some amount of ego. Um, But in addition to that, you have to have self-control, self-discipline, confidence, all of these things that go along with it. So these are the very things you might be lacking with a weight problem. That doesn't mean that everybody with a a weight problem is lacking these things. So you need an ego. You need self-control. You need self-discipline. And you need the confidence in order to be successful in life. And I don't mean financial success. I mean, because you can achieve that through various jobs. You can snack all day at some jobs and become overweight and still achieve financial success, you know, throw some money into a house or, you know, up, upsell your houses, whatever. But I'm talking more about, you know, a profoundly different kind of success. And the problem is most people, they don't know what they're doing wrong. So more and more people in the world today need role models because there's so much misinformation and misguided advertising. So that's what I want to share with you
0: today about some of the successes that I've had uh, along that path, if you're interested in it. All right. That that sounds great. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure you've talked about your background a lot and you're very clearly, very passionate about these more recent developments that have happened. And I can tell you from my own personal experience, like I have um, spent several years in America and I put on a lot of weight while I was there and I'm in the process of losing that weight. And I've actually lost quite a lot in the last, uh, Two months alone, I've lost um, over 10 kilograms and I still have more to lose. But I'm already noticing, even just the comparison from how I was before, that I do feel sharper. I feel like I have better focus. I feel like I can stick to one task for a longer time. I feel less groggy. And this is only the beginning of me losing weight. So, I, how have you felt, cause you've, you've been saying you're on this upward trend. So what sparked this upward tr- trend and how are you noticing the differences in your day-to-day life and especially with your focus and things like learning languages?
1: Well, in a moment I'll talk about what I've been able to achieve in, in, um, the memorization of mental and language capacities. I want to share with you the profound improvements just in diet alone. So, um, I'm going to share with you a couple of stories here. So remember how important it is to set very specific goals. and I, I want to share several of the goals that I've achieved recently and some of my new goals. Now, these goals probably don't apply to everybody because they have certain preferences in their own life. but I'm just sharing what what is what I've been working on and what I've been doing. so but um I, I wanted to start the um I wanted to start the day's interview and just say that um, I spend you know, in, in spite of fa- founding, actually of founding this company, Glossika, but I, I actually spend 80 to 90 percent of my time on self-training, research and experimentation. Um, you know, many, many years ago, Tim Ferriss was a big fan of mine, so I kind of feel like I'm doing something kind of in the same um In the same way that he used to do, but uh, not as famous or writing about it or talking about it as much as he was. Um, So my interests are specifically in diet and health, exercise, languages, music. And the last one of particular interest is human prehistory. So that's why I want to tell you a little bit of a story today. So I've been doing um, this research on prehistory and human migration of all the ancestral language families of the world. And there's one common thing that keeps reoccurring. And that is the flood. Now we know it wasn't a single event, but rather many events. The survivors speak of a single event because, well, I mean, they're the only ones who lived to tell the story and others didn't, right? So, well, I'll give a talk at the Polyglot Conference this year about the origin of language families and how they're all interconnected and the timeline in which they actually emerged on the earth. You know, I think that this is a very fascinating topic, um, this flood topic is related to what I'm going to share with you today about diet. So regardless of whether the accounts in the Bible are true or not, I mean, we know that Noah lived for 950 years. I mean, that, that was the, he, at 950 years. That's the year that he died. Right. So and there's no other way to explain these numbers. I mean, they're certainly not months. Otherwise, some of Noah's ancestors were actually having children at five years old, which is not plausible. And we know for a fact that pre-modern man's knowledge of the cosmos and seasons were actually very highly advanced. I mean, there's absolutely no ambiguity about what a year means, even you know thousands of years ago. And so uh, Noah's offspring very quickly, in just a couple of generations, drop in lifespans to modern lifespans, and that's basically a tenth. You know, you're seeing people living to nine hundred, uh, from nine hundred becoming ninety or ninety-five at most. You know, some can reach a hundred. Um, so there is something about these numbers that I find difficult to doubt, just because of you know the, the evidence there. So um, the flood occurred when Noah was 600 years old. So let, let's talk about the science behind this. So during the Ice Age, the sea level was a little um, a little more than let's just say 120 meters lower than what it is today. So to put that into perspective, that's the height of a 48-story building. You know, if you consider every every floor is two and a half meters or so. So um, the Persian Gulf didn't exist at that time. It was a fertile plain with a single river running through it. And that's probably where Noah lived. So not only that, if you look on modern maps that show the colors of the underwater continental shelf, you'll notice that the shelves drop off at a little over 100 meters deep. So in fact, for a brief period of a few thousand years, the water levels were higher than today's right after the floods, but before dropping back to present levels. So we do know that the Earth was populated by a large variety of giant animals like woolly mammoths. I'm sure you've all heard of them. These so called megafauna went extinct at the end of the Ice Age, called the Younger Dryas megafauna extinction. Now, the Younger Dryas was approximately a 1,300 year period of cooling that recent research advances are claiming was caused by a meteorite, although it can't be proven yet. This is, this is the new. The new Um, You know, the new theories that are coming out, you can you can date the middle of the Younger Dryas approximately 12,000 years ago. So the reason for the floods was largely due to the overflowing and collapse of major lakes, um, like Lake Agassiz in Canada, which released enough water to raise sea levels worldwide. So these floods and the Younger Dryas were all happening at a time of great climate shift and numerous natural disasters. These changes wiped out previous civilizations that we only have traces of today. I mean, we've all heard of mysterious civilizations like Atlantis, right? But that's all we know about it. I mean, we don't know anything else except for this, this name, Atlantis, right? So, in the summer of 2021, though, Egyptian archaeologists pulled several large statues and temples out of the Mediterranean Sea off the coast of Alexandria, and this is ongoing. You know, I, I don't I haven't followed the news recently, but I'm sure that they're they're always finding new stuff buried in the sea. And, you know, I, I I like to think that the modern fish swimming in the sea know more about our ancient civilizations than we do. So all joking aside, I, I think that, you know, the, the people in the civilizations of pre-recorded history were experts in stone masonry. Whether they were in South America, you can find them there, or the remains found, you know, scattered all throughout Europe. One of the last great stone masonry buildings to go up using this forgotten technology, after which... You know, all the knowledge was lost to history was undoubtedly the pyramids of Egypt, which coincides with the beginning of recorded history. Unfortunately, that technology was not recorded by the Egyptians, or is still waiting to be discovered. So today, our buildings are lucky to last a hundred years, right? Our cathedrals are probably lucky to last a thousand years, and some of them are very old in Europe. But um, many of those prehistory stone masonry are still standing over ten thousand years later, and for good reason. Stones take millennia to erode from the weather, so. Scientists are now starting to discover a whole array of prehistorical cities and civilizations deep in the Amazon forest. So if you have a chance to visit, Benny.
0: That's right next door to me right now. Yeah,
1: I mean, you're you're in the Amazon. So um, I don't know if you've heard any of the news, but uh, 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 apparently the space photographs of the of the underbrush, uh, they're just discovering all of this leftover civilization stuff there. So it's as if the forest is something that grew after the collapse of those civilizations. The the forest could probably be something new, Or, or maybe it's grown and, 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 um, disappeared over, you know, many, many times over cycles, over many millennia. So, um, based on all of those findings, the kind of conclusion that I've come to is that Noah and the people of his day were eating a diet that was very different than ours today. Okay. So, um, what I believe is that they had access to megafauna and perhaps this has a direct correlation to their lifespan. Now, this is just a hypothesis, but these lifespans dropped to one tenth what they were after the floods. And we can't eat what they ate because those megafauna no longer exist. The lineage provided in the Bible is most likely missing some intermediary links because I believe the lifespan of Noah probably occurred a few thousand years earlier than the dates that the Bible suggests. I mean, we can date the Bible's year of the flood as 967 BC, and I mean, we have lots of things that happened in history before 967 BC. We have like Chinese history. We've got all kinds of other history, you know, happening 2000 BC and whatnot. So the but, um, you know, the floods were happening millennia before that. The Younger Dryas was you know 12,000 years ago. So we know that Noah is most likely the same story of Gilgamesh, who who lived around 2700 BC. Again, telling a tale as old as time. So maybe that. That story of a flood was something passed down, and Gilgamesh actually put it into writing, passed on to the, the biblical scholars, and they put it down as as the Noah story. So the flood stories of the of the Taiwan aborigines here in Taiwan, where I live, date back thousands of years, also predating what is accounted in the Bible. Now, this is where my interest is, has sprouted from, is because I've been doing this research locally here in Taiwan, and I just keep coming across the flood story. And, and then I'm doing all this other research, and I'm just like, man, there's something related here with the flood. So... Anyway, um, any questions you want to ask me at that point before I start talking about diet?
0: Uh, that, that's that is what I'm very interested in in hearing. Is uh, based on your theories, if uh, if like if it's not just the megafauna that was potentially giving longevity of life uh, um, in prehistoric times, what can we do now, and what kind of evidence have you seen for modern day life extension that uh, could be parallels to these um, uh, th- these periods of the likes of Noah?
1: So just before we started this interview, you mentioned to me that um, you've been living in the United States for a period of time. This is a, a kind of place that I'm not actually interested in going to or eating um, because, you know, I feel like just everything is is fake. you know, I think that I think there are methods, and there are ways to to live in that
0: country and and do what I'm doing for, for like i can I can tell you from experience it, it is definitely possible to eat healthy in America. It's just the it's way, way too easy to eat unhealthy. and that is the norm, and that is what ninety nine percent of things available tend to be. and that's just why I fell into those patterns.
1: Cheap food is is basically going to destroy your body and it's the really expensive stuff that probably isn't, or, but some of that will also, I mean, you, you really have to be cautious about what you look at. So let me share with you what I've been doing. So um, just on that note, almost everything we eat today is packaged in one form or another. And that of course leads to a large variety of modern illnesses that we're all aware of. So I have forced myself not to consume anything that has been packaged or has any form of marketing. And the only exception to this, that I would have to say, would be like award-winning olive oils. And they have like brand names on the bottles or coconut oils, um, the stuff that I use to cook with. Um, and then the restaurants are really unreliable as they mostly cook food in the cheapest vegetable oil. So eating out can be, you know, th- this stuff destroys the inside of your body. So that's, that's a risk. I've also stopped using toothpaste because most of it is full of chemicals like titanium dioxide, which was just banned in Europe early this month, August 2022. And these chemicals easily leach into the bloodstream due to the great capacity of the lining of the mouth to absorb what you put in the mouth. Right. Like, you you know, when you're a child, you know, they tell you to put a medicine under your tongue or something because it just absorbs into your bloodstream so fast. Right. So instead, I use olive oil for brushing. And this is a, a millennia old custom. Right. So. And i also have to be careful of the quality of the toothbrush i use as the wear and tear may also end up getting absorbed into my bloodstream i'm not i'm not being like um like super scared of of all of these diseases i'm just i'm just treating myself as like okay how many chemicals are are in my modern day environment and what do i have control over that's all i'm looking at right here so as i get older i just have to be careful about everything i put in my mouth right and what i believe Take this home with you, this quote, your body is your temple. But I'd like to ask all the listeners to think of one question every day when you eat. How sacred is your temple? How sacred is your temple? OK, so that's um, all right. So. What's the issue with chemicals in toothpaste or food packaging or the food itself, like the food coloring, you know, chemicals and processed foods, processed meats, all of these have a direct correlation to cancer and numerous other diseases in the body so before you even get diagnosed with cancer all of these horrible things you put in your mouth are causing a variety of mental illnesses lethargy depression you name it the diet i'm on is not recommended for everybody like i, I said earlier but i found that it has had profound, profound impact on me so your listeners don't have to try everything i'm doing and i think a lot of people are going to be disgusted by what i'm doing frankly but start by doing one thing at a time and adjusting your lifestyle And then do that consistently, and you're going to experience differences. So I'll let you know each of the things you can try that I've been doing with a lot of success. So besides the toothpaste, the second thing I've been doing is I've stopped eating all carbohydrates, all fruits, and all vegetables, with the exception of consuming some nuts and kimchi a few times a week. I should add that I've never consumed canned beverages or fruit drinks, which are all basically like drinking pure poison. The third thing I've done is only consume high content, fat beef steaks, specifically Kobe beef from Japan, six eggs per day, copious amounts of zero sugar, Greek yogurt, or or kefir yogurt. As you can tell, how am I possibly getting any nutrients and energy from this diet? Well, the high-fat diet is what fuels the brain, the organs, and that's what gives me the energy. So the rest of my diet is almost purely protein, zero fiber, zero sugar. A curious question I have about what I just mentioned about our prehistory ancestors and megafauna extinction would be, Is the size of the animal we consume correlated to how long we can live? Now, this is kind of a preposterous thought, but it's just something that has crossed my mind so many times in the last year or so. But the fourth thing that I, the fourth thing is something that I've already been doing for more than a decade already. And that's simply consuming all my calories once every 24 hours. I don't snack or take any bite of anything else during the day. Because I sweat so much, I can't hydrate with pure water either due to the cell damage it causes. And this is something you can, you can research if you actually are an athlete. So I use a special mix that doesn't break the fast. And, and I have to drink all day long because, you know, a water fast is, you need water to survive. But, it, you know, sometimes the pure water, it can be bad for your cells. And so I also fast another two to three days, a total of four or five times per month, every month. So I often get asked, aren't you always hungry or even starving? And my answer is simple to that. The chemical ghrelin, G-R-E-L-I-N, is released in the brain 24 hours after you eat. I mean, we all live on Earth. Our bodies know the 24-hour cycle. Your brain automatically releases this chemical every 24 hours after you eat. And so ghrelin is the chemical that makes you feel hungry. So the catch with this is that if you eat all day, then your brain is going to release ghrelin all day tomorrow. Remember, it's 24 hours after you took a bite or after you broke a fast or after you you know, you, you, after you started eating, ghrelin is going to start, that's 24 hours later, it's going to start doing it. You'll be perpetually hungry. Every minute that you put food in your mouth, that's tomorrow destroyed. You know, that's the way I look at it. If you don't eat, and it, and it might be hard to break through the ghrelin releases that first day, but if you don't eat, and I, I usually eat in the evenings, you know, I have a, I have a chef now, but um, the, the next day you won't be releasing ghrelin and you won't feel hungry. In fact, not eating for 2 days, I found that my brain adjusts to releasing the ghrelin on a 48 hour cycle. I'm not even hungry the the first day and the beginning of the next day and so on and so forth. It's perfectly fine. And we're not we're not starving ourselves to death. We're not going to like 30 and 60 days or when I'm not drinking water. It's it's entirely okay, right? And you have you know, I don't know about you personally, but I think, you know, me or anybody else that I know, we all have enough fat in our body to, to, to last a few days. You know, that's, that's energy stored up, right? And so the other thing I often get asked about is because I, I go to the gym and I work out every single day. So how can you have energy to do a gym workout if you haven't eaten for two days? And my answer is simple to that. My body probably thinks I hunted, but didn't get a kill. <laughs> My mammalian brain is still on the hunting stage of evolution. I don't know where yours is, but that's where mine is. <laughs> so my body's reaction is to conserve energy and make sure I have enough for the following day to hunt successfully. Why wouldn't my, my, my body do that? Right? So my mammalian brain has not evolved yet into thinking, just go to the supermarket, you dumbass, you know? So, you know, that's, that's the way I look at it is I, I feel fine. Even, even during a, a several day fast and I go to the gym and I do a heavy workout. A lot of people are not me, of course, but I mean, you have to watch your insulin levels. You have to watch your blood glucose levels because you might faint. So that, that can also be a real thing. So, I mean, you, you should really talk to your doctor, but I think take everything in moderation and you do one step at a time and you make small, small changes in your lifestyle and you'll get to the point. Cause that's what I did. I didn't just suddenly overnight, I'm just start doing this. Right. So, um, that's, that's where I'm at today. And. And I just want to add that um, I've, I've always been a big vegetable eater all the way up until this year. So big salad eater. I've been into all the vegetables, but I, I've experienced something different now. So by not eating vegetables in the last six months, my skin has improved a lot. It's removed a lot of inflammation in my body, especially issues with the bowels. I still believe that certain vegetables have healing properties, of course, and are appropriate for consumption on specific occasions, just like our ancestors for, for tens of thousands of years but I can get all my necessary nutrients from eating various animal organs, especially the liver, which I eat from a large variety of animals. I've been on this specific non-vegetable diet now for a half year. And I find the results quite profound. I've shed all excess fat. I have six pack abs. And more importantly, there's been an immense impact on my mental capacity. And that's what I want to get into next. I know it's not everybody's goal to achieve an optimum diet or an optimum body. But I think that sharing these, these items of success with everybody will, has a a knock on effect on everything else you do.
0: Just in terms of the fasting aspect, I can, uh, I can't quite speak to, to the ghrelin, uh, what did you call it? Uh, The ghrelin side of things, ghrelin. That's
1: actually a recent
0: discovery. The ghrelin is, I think it was
1: 18 or 19. That was a recent discovery. And I was, I was really interested when I heard about it. So,
0: um, I put it into my, my vocab repertoire. (laughs) Well, um, what I personally found is that uh, regardless of what may be released in your system after 24 hours, I began with intermediate fasting or intermittent fasting, sorry, where you only have an eight hour window uh, in the day that you allow yourself to eat. And then from there, I was able to expand it. And I do now every week have a a full 24 hour fast. And like, it's something that you can build into. So I think as people hear your explanation, it can definitely sound very intimidating because it is an extreme version. And like you were saying before, it's something that you would definitely need to very gradually implement it. Uh, like if you were interested in something like that, but fasting in general is something that even someone like me with a lot less experience of pushing is a body to the extreme. I, I, it's something I've been able to implement.
1: And a lot of people might take this to heart and, and actually go overboard. And I would just say, you know, just do everything in moderation, take it step by step and definitely do not make other people do this. You know, it, it's your body, it's your temple. And don't make your children do it. This is not appropriate for children. You know, let children get their proper nutrients, three meals a day, whatever. So, you know, I've, I've seen people react in that way. Oh, I should get my whole family on that. No, 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 just... Just just do it and make it work for yourself before you start sharing, and that's what I've been doing. I've been mean, I've been silent for years. You know, I haven't tell, told anybody, talked to anybody. This is the first time I've done an interview, and I've actually shared this. So, um, I'm not spouting my mouth off everywhere. So this is this is something I just want to share and, and let everybody know because the, like the memorization capacity, I think I'm just just blown away by this. So
0: yeah. So let, let's dive into let's dive into that because obviously uh, you know one aspect is having a better body and there are many benefits to that but in terms of i know especially the listeners of this podcast be very interested in the uh, mental acuity that you've kind of built over the especially recent years and what differences you've noticed as you've changed your diet in terms of how well you're able to remember things and how your ability to acquire potentially new languages has changed in recent years So I, I just, I just really want to emphasize it's, it's your temple.
1: Your body is your temple and you have absolute control over that. You will gain a lot of self-control and a lot of discipline. You'll also gain confidence and you'll also gain something that you may not have had before a lot of self dignity. So remember the people around you, they are peer pressure. It's your sacred temple. It's nobody else's it's yours. Let them worry about their own temple, you know, take control of yourself. Um, here at Glossika, there's something that we came up with for language learning, and we call it repetitions or just reps. And it's not a new concept, of course, because you do this at the gym as well. And I and I love the concept of I go to the gym and I do reps and I do language and I do reps. So the idea is to practice saying every sentence aloud. And every time you do that, it's called one repetition. And I, I, I you could use different items. Like you could say a vocabulary is a rep, but I just feel like vocabulary is items, um, they lack context. So I I, I I feel like sentence, you know, not a super long sentence, but something that's like 10 words long is perfect. You know, that kind of sentence as a rep. And you do many reps many times, you know. And then what I do on a typical day of training is with languages, I'll do 3000 to 5000 reps divided among several languages. Now, that may sound insane. And a lot of people who may use Glossica might be thinking, well, how is that even possible on Glossika Well, I, I have access to the back end database and all that. So I might have a little bit of a cheat function there. So but you know, the the point here is that um, the numbers really, the numbers really, really matter here. So success in business can also be measured in a similar way. Uh, You know, I love talking about business as well. So let's say you hand out flyers to people, or you do advertising impressions, you're not going to achieve anything unless you've handed out at least 10,000 flyers, and advertising impressions require much higher amounts. So. Let's say you're doing sales calls, right? We're talking about old school right here. So, if you're only doing 100 sales calls per day, that's only 20,000 per month. And unless you're selling something that everybody needs, everybody wants, you're probably not going to be making very many sales in a month. Sure, it's hard work, but everything is hard work, of course, right? It all comes down to how many reps you have done every single day. So, every day I go to the gym seven days per week. My goal every day is to complete 1,000 reps. It usually averages out to 80,000 kilograms. Um, lifted or pushed every day. But, uh, today my time was a little bit more limited. I only got to 900 reps. So, but my average came out to 85 K KG. And that, let me do the, let me see my number there. Um, 76,500 kilograms for today. So I like to measure all of these things. They may be unimportant and, but I just like to see the record of growth. I, I feel like, Oh, I just hit a new milestone. And I think that that's. It's really important for my own self-esteem and my ego and my, my dignity and all of these things. I feel like, man, I feel, that's, that's like when I just started this, this interview and I said, I feel a hundred times better than last year. I mean, this is one aspect, right? I feel that because I'm keeping track. I'm, I keep those numbers. So that average keeps climbing higher and higher month after month. So I'm actually not interested in bodybuilding for the sake of bodybuilding or the rest required for muscles to rebuild. And a lot of people are going to say, oh, you can't do a thousand reps every day. Because your muscles have to rest. Yeah. There's a lot of machines in the gym. I don't have to do all of them every day. Right? So all I'm interested in doing is at what weight I can achieve 60 to 90 reps. And as it happens, some weights become easy over time. So if I raise a weight, I probably need to do lower reps. And then I lower the weight and complete the full amount of reps that I want to do. So for example, today I did 90 pull-ups and I just do 10 reps per set. And sometimes I need to come back to the pull-up Area after I've done other machines because I'm just too exhausted to finish, right? So, but ninety. Think about it, ninety pull-ups. I mean, how many, how many people you know have done ninety pull-ups today, right? So that that's the point. Is like, can you do that every single day, thirty days a month, right? So that's that's what I'm getting at here. Is you've got to put in your reps. It's the same thing for languages. My muscle mass now, and I'm not here to like brag or anything. I'm just I'm just giving you like the results of of how these things have have resulted for for me. my muscle mass is now twenty percent of my body weight, and the body and my body fat's now down down to seven percent. So all of this muscle stimulation, in addition to the diet, has profound effects on mental capacity. and I, that's why what I, the question I want to answer for you now. So I want to tie this in the The massive improvements I've made in memory memorization capacity specifically. so and I'm kind of wondering, like from all those all that those steaks that I eat, if I'm just wondering if every 10 grams of fat I consume actually allows me to memorize a big new block of information because it kind of feels like, it, you know, um, I've you know, here's a good example. I memorized over 2000 digits of pie recently. Now, that was something that I could I could never get past like the first 10 digits before. Now I'm past 2000 in literally like no time. Right. So I also love playing the piano every day. And I love the stimulation of creating and playing the music. And so I should add that the reason we learn languages is not just for the for the language itself. The language is not the the, the destination, it's the journey. So I love to, to connect and talk to other people around me about the things we care about. And so for me, that usually comes down to like talking about business or health, diet, um, the music or, or piano, if other people are also interested in those things. So the one, one peculiarity um, that I found out about myself is that um, over the, I think it was just a few years ago that I, I kind of figured this out. Is that I actually never listen to music unless it's specifically something I'm working on, um, and I, I've come to the conclusion now that music is just a distraction in my life. If I hear it, I focus on it and I analyze it. So today at the gym, I heard um, what's what's that song called? Um, Call me maybe, and then I, I was just I was just laughing. I was just doing some some pushes on the on the machine i was just laughing because benny and i and a whole bunch of other polyglots uh, how many years ago is it 10 years ago yeah about that mm-hmm. maybe, maybe more we made a video with that call me maybe song and i haven't heard this song in years and all of a sudden it's playing in the gym and i'm like that's weird because i'm gonna meet benny in a couple hours here so um that was funny but you know when when the music comes on it it kind of a distraction for me so um, I don't really like the blasting of songs in public places all that much because uh, it kind of distracts me from thinking. But the gym is kind of like they have their <laughs> they have their style. So I live with it. Um, but anyway, piano is is as much a part of my life as learning languages. And I don't know if any of your listeners are into piano or not, but I think that this might touch, you know, for some people out there, not for everybody. Um, but I want to take I want to I want to. I want you to use a parallel. I want you to use kind of like this as a metaphor. Like what I do with the piano might be your golf game. It might be your golf golf swing. It might be your tennis swing. It might be whatever else you're interested in. Because you know, it's fun to go out there and learn those other things. I just put a lot of effort just in the piano. It's something I can do at at home. You know, anytime I'm I'm at home. So um, I don't I don't do it for like performing for for anybody. It's just for my own training. And I and I love the 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 uh, mental stimulation. So. Um, there are plenty of professionals you can listen to the world. You don't have to listen to me, but um, piano for me is exactly the same thing that I just mentioned about diet and weight training. So if I, I what I do is I focus a lot on the etudes, which are the English, etudes, etudes is French for studies, right? So, um, and, and I like to focus on the more technical ones. So I'll cite read through a whole book of etudes and then choose ones that are, that are worth learning. That takes a little bit of time, but. A few years ago, I went to see a concert by a blind Japanese pianist, and I got to thinking about it like the accuracy of the hand positions, the execution without relying on eyesight at all. And I just thought, I I feel like a lot of language learners also have this handicap. We all rely on our eyesight to read the words off the page. But once you internalize that sentence or that rep, and then you repeat that sentence from your short term memory, whether it's just a few seconds later, you're gonna make a massive, much bigger improvement in your capacity to learn that language rather than just reading the text right off the page or right off the screen, as many of us do now. So um, so last year I set a new goal for myself. I, and that goal was specifically just to be able to play new pieces with a blindfold on, which is pretty crazy, right? So I mean, it's like, I can't see any, where any my, any of my hand positions are going, right? But um it it works i mean you it it's like very painful at first but it, you know it get, you get to the point where now now i'm able to play several chopin etudes with blindfold on um the first etude, the godopski edition of that etude i can also do blindfolded the third etude the winter wind etude these are all very very tough things so i can now play Rachmaninoff's flight of the bumblebee i'm sure a lot of people heard that one. It's a really fast one i can do it blindfolded now and i'm like it's not perfect but i'm just like hey wow, cool. I actually made the jumps and I hit the right notes, even flying, you know, halfway across the keyboard to hit the note. I I did it. And so, um, and so in order to do this, you actually have to memorize the music, of course. And so I've always had this struggle with memorizing music. It wasn't until very, very recently that I've been able to start doing this. So that was this year's goal. Precisely that was to start being able to memorize music very efficiently and, and see how little time it could take for me to actually memorize a new piece of music so now i'm able to memorize between five and ten pages of music per hour and it kind of depends on the complexity of the music but it's about that so after the first day of memorization it takes up to three consecutive days to solidify those memories i have to keep playing the same things um and then the sleep cycles of course they have their role to play so you have to get a full night's sleep and all that so um, I'm sure all of you have heard this before, you know, your sleep consolidates your memories, but you're going to have to practice things three or four days after you've memorized them in order for them to consolidate and become long term memories. So this is really important. Um, and I I've also found that it's more important to get from beginning to end of that piece of music, whether it's a sentence I'm learning in language or a piece of music and you need to do it smoothly or, you know, as we say in language fluently um, or it flows. Right. I'm not saying fluently as in you've mastered language. I'm saying fluently as in it flows. So even if there are some gray areas where your memory fails or you don't remember the pronunciation properly or, you know, you, you miss a note or you miss a, a letter or a word or whatever, but you get from the beginning to the end and you can say it in one breath or it's a piece of music and you can flow through it, right? And then you go back and you make adjustments to those specific mistakes the next day in, in one small error at a time and all of that stuff gets ironed out. And so I think a lot of people, they beat themselves up over like, oh, I, I can't do this. You know, it's just like I made too many mistakes. Oh, my pronunciation is wrong. I don't know what I'm doing wrong. Why don't you just relax and... And just mumble it all the way from from beginning to the end and get the get the intonation get the get the prosody and in the intonation and i know there's a lot of other like polyglot um founders out there that 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 are doing this that they actually teach pronunciation of prosody and these kinds of things and um and just feel the flow you know it really comes down to feeling the flow and the, the more you're agitated by it the more you're you're not going to succeed um and it's just like um i can't think of a good metaphor at the moment but i think what I, what I want to add to that is that making mistakes is actually one of the best things to happen in achieving higher skills and solidifying those memories, because all of this great progress in memory didn't start to happen until a couple of months ago in my own diet. I mean, in, in, in my own um, in my own journey after I made a shift in this diet. So. I found that those mistakes that, I, that I'm making, I can come back the next day fix them one by one and they all kind of smooth out and I retain the memory and mistakes. I mean, you can hear polyglots on a lot of different channels, YouTube or podcasts. They're saying things like, Oh, I remember the time when I was in um, such and such a city or in a town and I said this word completely wrong and, and everybody laughed for a second. And then I remembered (laughs) the right way from then on never again made the mistake. But you know, what if you never made that mistake? You, you might end up making the mistake sometime in the future, but then that experience helps, define how, you know, the language, you know, we, I think even with English, I can also think back to when I was a child and I said something in a funny way and I was corrected in English, you know? Um, so I think that we all have these memories deep inside of how we acquired language or skills, other skills that we've learned, um, throughout our lives. So now I have a new goal and it, and it probably might take a year or two. But that new goal is to actually, I don't know if it's possible, but directly read a new music score without practicing on the keyboard and be able to memorize it directly from the page. So, in theory, I want to be able to sit down at the piano, put on a blindfold, and just read the music straight from the memorized image in my head. I don't know if (laughs) that's a reasonable goal, but I've achieved quite a few goals already. So, why not? (laughs) I'll try. Um, So, let's talk about languages. I don't really have anything else to add, because I think all of this ties into what we do with hacking languages. But um, you know, every day I split my time. It's divided between three activities and it's basically languages, music and the gym. Of course, I have my work, Um, I I deal with the company every now and then. um, But that doesn't take up a whole lot of my time. So these activities themselves take up about 12 hours of my day every day. So there's nothing profound um, other than, you know, the the basic philosophy that we we teach at glossica is do your reps do lots of them do lots of reps i mean if you haven't done 100,000 reps in a language where where are you if you've only read 5,000 sentences in a language you know where are you you're you're still still at baby steps right so Um, And I'm not one to say, oh, I've done my 100,000 reps in all these different languages. I struggle to get my reps up in some languages just just because interests and maybe I like some better than others and whatnot. But I would like to improve. I'm still always trying to improve. So um, I have I have also memorization goals for language as well. And that would be like trying to memorize a whole dictionary of vocabulary. I don't know if it's possible. It certainly sounds very intimidating. But um, this is something that I'm still in the experimentation stage on. Uh, so I don't have any sh- results to share yet, but I mean, you may come up to me in a, in a year or two and say, hey, I heard once that you were going to try to memorize a dictionary. How did that go? Uh, I might have some some results by then. Um, but I, I think that there's a lot of crossover between my experiences with memorizing pi, which I feel is an absolutely worthless endeavor. <laughs> I have absolutely no use for it. But I think that there is a little bit of knock on effect in my memorization of other things. And I think that Pi was actually the easy one of the lot. It's actually like memorizing music is so much harder than Pi. So I have a lot more, (laughs) I have a lot more esteem. I mean, um, what's the word? A
0: lot more respect for the kind of people who.
1: Yeah, I have a lot more respect for those professional musicians because they can go up on stage and just play (laughs) um, probably a hundred pieces of different stuff. And it's just, that's really intimidating. And considering like a piano concerto might have a million notes in it. You know more than a hundred thousand maybe less than a million some somewhere in that range that's a lot of a lot of notes to memorize and you have to execute them in a very specific order in a fashion and the in a um you know volume and so many things tied into it so so that music thing i, I think is just massively wow wow <laughs> uh it's crazy um and then the you know i think that the pie also helps with um Memorizing a bit with with the music uh, helps with the visualizations, the muscle memories involved. I mean, I could I could do another video on or maybe another interview about my experiences with Pi because i I went through everybody's everybody else's interviews or uh, YouTube, and I've tried every method that they did. Um, you know, like Daniel Temet has a way, and that, that didn't work for me. Um, there's another guy who wrote a book, and he has a way that didn't work for me. I mean, none of the methods that anybody that some of these guys they use like three numbers at a time and they say, oh, I visualize um three random objects but you know for me it's like it's just as hard to memorize those three random things as it is just the numbers themselves my god like (laughs) just give me something like that actually works and so i figured something else that that works for me and so i'm trying to see if that's applicable to other things that i'm learning and, and trying to memorize you need a lot of you know like what we call anchors you know memory anchors to help establish those long-term memories and i think that helps a lot i just want to kind of tell the audience like if there's only one simple question that i could ask you right now and that would be how many sentences or reps have you spoken out loud today in your target language i mean be truthful i mean what can you actually tell me can you tell me 50 can you tell me 100 or you're talking about some pretty good numbers like in the hundreds maybe even a thousand or more and then Another question. Maybe you don't have one near you. Maybe if you're in the Amazon forest. But how many reps did you do at the gym today? But you could do push-ups. You know, maybe you might find a way to do pull-ups. I don't know. But you know, that's that's a very valuable, uh, valid, a valid question. And just think about anything else you're trying to learn in life. You know, whether it's a golf swing or tennis swing or I don't know, you're doing some crafts or whatever. How many reps did you do on that thing you're learning? And we've all heard that famous Bruce Lee quote, right? I fear not the man who's practiced 10,000 kicks once, but I fear the man who's practiced one kick 10,000 times.
0: <laughs> yeah, one of my favorite quotes by far. absolutely love that one. It really emphasizes the power of repetitions. So as a, a final question, I mean, you have your, your goal of um, potentially being able to produce music from hopefully creating some form of a photographic memory. But like beyond that, what are your goals for the next few years in terms of your memory capacity, your body, and what other projects do you plan to, to get into that um, you generally wouldn't? Yeah, I feel
1: like the the music it's because now now I can kind of sit down at the piano and start creating stuff right out of my head. Like I I, I just start playing new music, like wherever my fingers just. I I feel like it's almost like a language. Like I've finally learned how to speak the, the keyboard language. Right. It's because I know like, okay, I'm in a certain chord, I'm in a certain position. I know like where to go next to create, or I know I have like four different directions I can go next and I can choose one that have as, as a specific flavor or, you know, and I, and I think that's a really powerful feeling. It's, it, and I'm not thinking about it. I'm not thinking about the grammar, you know, it's not music theory. I'm not really interested that much in music theory. I'm just interested in absorbing a massive amount of music, whether it's jazz, I I do play a lot of that. And I play a lot of um, late classical, what they call romantic era. Um, Also, I love playing Bach, and that's Baroque. That's really early. And kind of anything in between Baroque and and Chopin, um, with the exception of Beethoven, I don't play all that much of. Like, I I just skip over Mozart. I feel it boring. I find it boring. um, And and a lot of people from his his day. So I kind of tend to focus on the more late um, romantic, like uh, Chopin, Liszt, Rachmaninoff, and a lot of the 20th century composers. I'm um, still still kind of um, exploring like there's so much there's so much music out there. I mean, if you've never actually heard some of this music, you might think, oh, classical music's So boring. I wanted to add an expletive. I just OK. So anyway, um, classical music, but it, it's actually it's actually really deep. You know, I mean, if classical music were so boring, it wouldn't be alive in the 21st century. I mean, it wouldn't be fanatics like myself, you know, um, still still talking about it, you know. So it's, it's a really cool form of music. And, um, I'm not, a, I'm not the kind of person who actually listens to music. I don't, I have no interest in actually listening to music on an, on a day-to-day, day-to-day basis, but I'm actually really, really involved with music and it's kind of a, a real a weird irony. Um, so I'm interested in the next few years to create music. You know, I think uh, I would like to kind of plug in the computer and just record what I play and maybe, um, send it off to maybe a, a post-producing guy and throw together some some really cool, like give him some melodies and then throw together some epic sounding stuff. You know, I, I don't know. I just, I want to create some of my own stuff. And it
0: sounds really,
1: I mean, it, it's a kind of a
0: feeling. It's like, wow, this is what I created, you know? That's amazing. And as a very, very last question, Generally, on the podcast, I ask people what their definition of language hacking is. But given the theme of everything we've talked about today, uh, what how would you define hacking in general? Because you've hacked your body, you've hacked your memory, you've hacked your ability to produce music. So what is hacking to you?
1: I think that comes down to the you know what I've touched on many times already, which is the experimentation process. And so with the experimentation processes, you need to know when to give up or abandon something very quickly and say, no, nope, this is not working for me. And who knows? I mean, that might actually work for you. might work for, for somebody else. Um, like the, the pie thing that I mentioned, like some guy, he, he, he memorizes three random, you know, maybe they're not so random to him, but I just, I can't wrap my, wrap my mind around it. But I'm actually kind of satisfied with the results of that already. So I'm not going to argue. Everybody, I think they all have their own way. Everybody has their own way. And I think you just have to find it. So, I mean, Benny... Um, you know, and, and, and your brand with, with this idea of, of three months, you know, focusing on a language, uh, that probably works for a lot of people and maybe for a lot of other people that doesn't work all that that well. So, but I think it's, it's a really cool brand that you, you can tell people you can make a lot of progress in three months, you know? And, um, so I think that What I what I could share with everybody is you need to maybe develop a a good amount of curiosity and just say, what if what if I did this? What if I did that? And kind of don't worry about whether you're wasting your time, because I think that that process of discovery and learning is actually making you a better person. It's actually making it's actually taking you to the next level because you are doing that experimentation. You are curious. And when you go out and you talk to your friends you actually have some kind of interesting things to talk about and i mean if your your friends might be really bored with that topic their eyes might glaze over you might need some new friends but <laughs> i'm just saying that um i think you can discover a lot about yourself and you can and you know i think in, in terms of our our lifespan and when we get older and we face all of these degenerative diseases like alzheimer's or dementia i mean it, it's probably a really good thing to kind of explore and and uh, experiment and and take a look at all these um, these things that you're interested in learning. It doesn't have to be language or music; it can be uh, anything else. You know that you're absolutely interested in doing. Now, I've raced motorcycles for years. I probably didn't never mention this to anybody, but I've and and I found that I can I can handle any kind of mountain. I mean, we have crazy mountain roads here in Taiwan, but I've been racing motorcycle, and I found that. The more reps that I do on a motorcycle and turns that I do, um, the more I get more daring and touching the ground. And it's like, well, I can do some a lot of a lot of crazy things on that motorcycle. Uh, now that I'm getting older, I'm probably less likely to go out and do so much of that anymore. But I'm, I mean, it's just another example of just uh, some of the. I, I'm kind of into the more extreme, extreme sportsy type of stuff just for the adrenaline. But I, I just I love it. You know, I love to get out there and, and just push my body to the limits and just try crazy stuff and and you know and, and it's and it's in moderation i'm just not like going out there and taking a new corner like oh i'm just gonna go do it and then not know what's gonna happen around the corner i i actually learn you know how the apex works and how my my line of view my light my my, my view site works and you know going into those corners and coming out of the corners and um on straightaways and all and the, the speed and then you know oncoming traffic and whether there's there's roads that it might sideswipe me and with other cars. And so you have to be careful. I mean, I'm still alive. (laughs) So, um, it's a, it's a learning process, but you have to take everything in moderation, step by step, one at a time, you know, don't, don't go crazy on anything new because you'll kill yourself. But it's, um, so many learning experiences out there and it doesn't matter what you're interested in. You might be jumping out of an airplane. You know, it's like, there's a lot of things to learn. Um, not my thing, but, um, you know, good luck to all of you listeners out there, and I hope that whatever your passions are, whatever you want to learn, in addition to language, because I think you need to have that other passion so you can use your new language and talk about it with your friends. Everything that I said today, I can I can rattle off in in Mandarin Chinese as I do every day with people that I know, and um, you know, that's that should be you know what you what you should try to strive for is that you can do that in other language with new friends you make and um, have other interests and in, in topics that you can talk about. I'm kind of I kind of put off by everybody just talking about oh I'm learning this language because I like the country and I want to go visit it you know I just I'm tired of hearing that kind of conversation I think it's better people get into like let's
0: talk about stuff you're really interested in you know Absolutely and I appreciate you giving us a a very different conversation today for a lot of food for thought for people so um, I'll I'll make sure, obviously we'll link to Glossica, but I'll make sure that we link to your other social media and your uh, other channels that people can find you. And maybe you'll talk a bit more about this in future.
1: Hey, no surprise. I'm actually not on social media at all. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Because, you know, look at my my training schedule. Of course. Um, But I just just really have, I mean, I have that old Facebook account, but I, I, I never open it anymore. It's just, you know, I'm just not... I'm just not on social media at all. So uh, I, I have some friends that are telling me, "Oh, you should do the, you should open an Instagram or something." You know, like record what you're doing. I'm like, ah, okay, maybe, maybe, maybe. I don't, I don't know. I'll, uh, it's just another hassle. I, I'd rather just focus on the things that I'm doing every day, i my training. Um, and I, and I really appreciate the interview because it's like the first chance that I get to really kind of tell the world what I'm doing. Uh, I really appreciate this, Benny. Um, and 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 I'm and I'm not one to like shy away from sharing. You know, like yeah, maybe I should do the the IG, but I'm just not. I'm just not
0: interested in maintaining that kind of thing all day, every day. Of course. And, you, you know, there's only so much you can do if you're putting 12 hours e- each day into projects that are important to you.
1: Yeah. And the, and the other thing I should add to that is we have a team at the company that are like specialists in this type of stuff. And we have a company account and all that. And I and I rarely look at that stuff and they, they manage it all, you know, pretty well on their own. So um, that's not that's not something that I actually have direct oversee on um but and i appreciate their their expertise and knowledge on it and they they try to do their best um but um you know we don't i don't think the company the company has all that great traction but it's you know it it, it takes time so
0: well this has been a fascinating interview thank you very much i, I really appreciate uh, this being the first public avenue that you've shared a lot of these things uh with that it's been on my podcast i think people find it absolutely fascinating to hear all these big changes you've been making. And uh, I'm sure a lot of people get inspiration.
1: You guys can actually send feedback to, to the company uh, customer service. I mean, if you're on the website and you uh, sign up and then there's like, you know, you might want to respond uh, through the, we have a customer service chat or like messaging in there. You guys can send a response, say, hey, Michael, I, you know, uh, I heard the podcast, and maybe you can just throw in your thoughts there that that'll work. i'll I'll definitely hear about it because I'm on the team meetings all the time.
0: so all right, so there you go, everybody. If you want to reach out, just use the the contact options through Glassica and you'll be able to get through to them. Excellent stuff. All right, thank you very much for joining me today. Really appreciate it. Thank you. And until the next time, I'll wish everybody a very happy language learning. Bye. Okay, so at the end of the episodes, I always like to give my personal takeaways from the conversation. And there was a lot of things that we covered today, a lot of things that I wouldn't necessarily see eye to eye with Mike on, but a lot of good advice as well that was uh, consistent throughout the whole thing. I think that the one that came up the most that I absolutely agree on was do your reps. So I love this analogy with how it works with both exercise and with language learning is your reps or your repetitions. And Mike was very adamant that like, you know, did you just do 10 reps a day or 20, or did you do hundreds or even a thousand? And anyone who's used the Glossica system knows that the exposure and repetition of the phrases that his system uses are a core aspect of his learning philosophy. And that has absolutely gone into these changes he's made in his life with his health. And I would say that regardless of what you're trying to do in your life, the repetitions make you stand out as different to other people who are unsuccessful Because it may be difficult to look at somebody who has achieved great success in any aspect of life, including language learning, and just think it's all down to talent. But you will find that ultimately it's the persistence and the patience to go through so many repetitions, whether that's repetitions in using something like a flashcard app and studying vocabulary, or repetitions in, in terms of going up and approaching people and making those mistakes in front of them. And I think this idea of how many reps have you done today is so crucial. You should be asking yourself that question. And this is a question that Mike asks himself for so many different aspects of his life that he has taken full control of, and he has very specific plans that he wants to move forward with. And especially with his skills and languages, which are uh, compared to other polyglots that I've seen are just unparalleled. It's truly down to the reps. So that was my big takeaway today. And definitely something i will be asking myself is when I'm doing any project in my life, am I doing the reps? So, that would be what I hope you guys would remember from from this, as well as the many other interesting things. And I'd love to hear your thoughts on, on this interview. Like I said, I was skeptical, but I'm sure many of you would agree with a lot of the things that Mike was talking about. And it's good food for thought. So that is uh, why I wanted to share this with you today, to see this glimpse into other Polyglot's lives. And did you like this? Would you like me to dive into things beyond the... Uh, language learning aspect. Uh, if I'm talking to polyglots on this podcast, if if so, let me know. Do you want to hear more about the background lives of polyglots outside of their language learning story? Just uh, hit me up on social media. Uh, I'm Irish polyglot on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok. I'm also language hacking on Instagram and uh, fi3m on Twitter. So send me a message and let me know. Would you like to hear? about the kind of things polyglots are passionate about and what really drives them in in mike's uh, case the 12 hours of a day that he's putting into what he really cares about so with that being said thanks for listening and a very happy language learning
1: we hope you enjoyed this episode of the language hacking podcast subscribe on apple podcast stitcher spotify or wherever you get your podcasts if you found this episode valuable and want to help us out please leave us a review at languagehacking.com forward slash review the language hacking podcast is presented by benny lewis shannon kennedy and elizabeth Bruckner, and produced by alice Semino. with special thanks to the fluent in three months team The theme music was written and performed by Shannon Kennedy. Find the show notes at languagehacking.com forward slash podcast. Thanks for listening and happy language learning.